Thanks, guys. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Clayton. I'm the pastor here at Central, and I'm glad you are with us. If you're watching online today, uh, thank you for being a part of a worship service with us. Just like Noah said, if you have your Bibles, whether physical copy or digital copy, uh, man, turn to Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to be um, this, this morning. And I don't know about you, but I think everybody, especially myself, we always have these, these memories in our lives that are transformative. Things that, for whatever reason, and maybe it's just some random memory you have, but it's something you can't forget. And there's a memory that I want to share with you that is something I will never be able to forget. I grew up playing soccer, and when I was probably about in middle school, my my family uh, took a trip to a soccer tournament, and we got into this tournament late, and so there was literally no room in the inns. Like, we were like Mary and Joseph, okay? We could not find a place to, to stay, and so we found in this town we were at in Texas, there was only one motel left, and the name of the motel was Ponderosa Inn, and I will forever remember the name Ponderosa Inn. Every time I see that, oh, just the word Ponderosa, just, woo, uh, bad memories, but we get to this motel, and late at night, probably midnight, and we walk into, into our room, and we open the door and quickly realize that it was, it was not going to be good. The, the floors were nasty. They're so bad, you know, you never take your shoes off kind of a, kind of a motel. And we look to the, to the end of the bathroom, and it's mold everywhere. We close the door behind us, and there was uh, about a, a two-inch gap between, you know, the bottom of the door and the floor, so you can just see light coming through. And... And we get ready for bed. We had to get up early in the morning, so we're exhausted from a long day of traveling. And, and we go and open up or pull back the sheets. And in one bed, there was just like, just hair. It was just hair. I don't know how to say it. It was just, there's just hair there. And we're like, oh, that's gross. And so we open up or pull back the next uh, sheet on the other bed, and it was leftover chicken bones, like chicken wing bones. Like someone had eaten, and I guess the, the person cleaning the room was like, ah, it's good enough, and just, you know, put, puts the covers back on. But we had nothing else to do. We couldn't leave. It was, there was no place else to stay. And so we went outside in the car and got the two big blankets, put them over the, the beds, and we're just fully clothed, just laying on top of the, the stuff, just trying to get our mind to somewhere else. And we're trying to go to sleep, and you just cannot sleep. You know, you just, you just sit in there, lay in there. And some families might get really upset about that and, you know, I'm going to talk to the manager, you know, and all that kind of stuff. My family, we just, we just try to find the humor in it. And so we're just laying there and all of a sudden we just busted out laughing. Like there's nothing else to do. You know, you're just laughing hysterically about the situation that you, found, you find yourself in. It was awful. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. Have you ever found yourself in a situation like that where your expectations of something were just flipped completely upside down. I'll never look at a motel room the same. I never will. I'll always check, you know, under the sheets. Well, my family laughed at that situation, but today what I'd like to talk to you about is something that's it's really not funny at all. You see, last week we talked about when church leaders go bad and they do bad things and they're a poor leader and how it affects us and it hurts people. Well, today we're going to continue that conversation. We're going to put church leaders aside for a little bit. And we're going to talk about when and what happens when a church hurts you. And you're hurt because of church people. You're hurt because of Christians. 
Maybe you grew up in a, in a family, in a home that had ultra strict parents. And you had certain rules that you had to follow because that's what we do in our house. Maybe you grew up and you knew of a family member like, a, like an uncle. And you knew what was going on behind the scenes. That they were, they were drinking and they were abusive and they were doing things you knew weren't right. And yet on Sunday morning, they'd get up on stage as one of the deacons and they would pray for the church. And it changed the way you looked at church. Maybe you had a church home that you grew up in and, and something happened within that body. And it has affected you to this day. What happened is your, your view of Christianity has taken a, taken a shift and it's been shaken and you're no longer the same. And so what we're going to talk about today is this, post-traumatic church syndrome. Anybody have that? <laughs> okay. What happens when you've been hurt by something in the past, and how does it still affect you today? And what are we supposed to do about that? Because a lot of us have been spiritually bruised. That for many, many years, your trust in something was, was built up, and in an instant, something happens, there's some type of abuse, there's some type of wrongdoing, there's some type of lie, and all of a sudden, that trust is completely broken. And you have a struggle, you struggle coming back to church. You, have, you struggle singing that certain song that reminds you of what happened back then. What happens is you come to church and you're on guard. You're constantly on guard. You're kind of hesitant about opening up. You're hesitant about joining a small group. You kind of just want to be a wallflower when you come to church. Or there's a lot of people probably watching online right now that this type of trauma has actually kept you away from the church. I'm not, I'm not walking into church at all because of what has happened. You may be dealing with some trauma. There might have been spiritual abuse or spiritual manipulation. A hero that you had, maybe as a mentor or a small group leader, someone that was really important and formative in your faith, they fell and they messed up. And it changed the way you viewed things. Maybe for you, church participation was like something you just had to do. There was, there was no getting around it. It was forced upon you. Or maybe some extra biblical expectations were put on you that the Bible didn't really say that you're supposed to have to do these things. But you know what? In our house, you're going to do that. And you feel trapped and you feel like you have no voice. In 1975, they did a survey about the churches and what your view is of the church. And you know that 67% of our community or of our nation said that they, they trusted the church. 67%. That is a Christian culture. Well, today, it's now at 34%. 34% of people in our communities say they actually trust the church. And it has a lot to do with things that have happened to them and hurts and abuse that has happened. And often, church people are the problem, aren't they? We say this all the time that, man, church would be easy if it weren't, weren't for all the people. You know what I'm saying? Like, it may be a lot easier. But church people are the problem, which means that it's easy for us to see the church as the problem. Maybe the church you grew up in was, was really not open, armed with you. Maybe they pushed you away, and they pushed you out. And they slam the door. And your faith has been 
damaged. You got pain, you, got, you have scars. And what happens is it's a cause for you to, to question God. It's a cause for you to question your faith. And to do something we've been talking about this last week and this week, this idea of deconstructing your faith. So let me put up this, this um, definition again that we talked about last week. Deconstruction, what is that? Well, deconstruction is the process of questioning, doubting, and ultimately rejecting aspects of the Christian faith. This is a, a growing trend within Christianity. And there's kind of two spectrums. It can be a complete demolition of your faith where you just destroy it all and you go and you do something else. All the way to maybe a, a lesser form of that where you are just, you're just being honest with some doubts and some questions you have of maybe about the, the faith tradition that you grew up with. But the truth this morning is that's, that's not new. There's nothing new with that. For thousands of years, Christians have been doing that. They've been, they've been having seasons of questions. They've been having seasons of doubts. And the reason is, is because people hurt people. Don't they? Church people hurt people. You've hurt someone. You've probably been hurt by someone. This may be your story today, and you might be kind of like, oh, I don't want to hear this, but I think it's something that God wants you to hear today. And Jesus wants to speak into your story this morning and give you some hope, okay? So you all ready for this? All right, so Luke chapter 19 this morning. Let me give you a little background to the story. So Jesus is traveling from Jericho. He comes down. Here's a map around here of, of Jerusalem area. So here's kind of Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. The temple's in the blue area around there. There's a valley in between this mountain and this mountain. And the Bible says that Jesus is over here in this town called Bethany. And he travels up here near Bethpage. He goes over the Mount of Olives. And now he can see down into the temple in the, in the city of Jerusalem. And he walks down by the Garden of Gethsemane and then begins to do switchbacks down through the, the steep valley and up into the temple. This is the triumphal entry. This is the last time that Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem. And what's going to happen is, is he's going to see Jerusalem and have a response because of the people. Let's look at it. In Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 41, here's what the Bible says. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. And he said this, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. Now, underlined you of all people because that's who he's talking about. That's who he was sad over, the people in Jerusalem. So who was made up? Who were the people in Jerusalem? Were they a bunch of pagans? No, they were religious people. And Jesus had a problem, and he saw that the problem with Jerusalem was religious people. This is the first problem that Jesus noticed. He had a problem with the religious people. He said, man, I wish that you of all people, you should know the way to peace, and you're missing it. Because what was happening is these people, they were focused on the law, okay? This was, this was their life. They were focused on not making any mistakes. They were focused on doing whatever their overbearing religious leaders told them to do. And what happens, it happened is, is they were missing the Messiah. They were missing Jesus, you see, they were fixated on this certain version of the Messiah that had to do with a military leader or a political leader that was going to come in and, and wipe out the Romans. And honestly, it was a misinterpretation of Scripture, misinterpretation of the Old Testament. 
the scriptures they had back then. Because what happened is they had taken their personal problems and made them ultimate. And they used scripture to try to speak into that. And so they're like, hey, the Messiah is all about us. It's all about saving us. And it's all about uh, fixing our problems here in the here and now. And they were misinterpreting scripture. And people do that sometimes today. We take like scripture that is maybe an important part of scripture. It's scripture all scripture is important. But we take this part and we make this one thing like ultimate in our lives. When the gospel should be the one or the thing that is ultimate. Here's an example. Last year we preached some tough sermons. Um, we talked about some things like, like drinking. And we talked about homosexuality. And we did, we, man, those, those were rough sermons, guys. I mean, a lot of people were just like staring at me like this. And some people were really upset about what we had to say. And that's okay, because um, we're just going to look at what Scripture has to say. But what happens for a lot of Christians is we will fight tooth and nail to hold on to certain beliefs and certain practices. And the world sees us in a certain light because of our rigidity towards something. I'm not, now, Scripture is very clear about those things. I'm not getting into that. I mean, the Scripture is really clear, and you may be correct in your interpretation of Scripture about that thing. But when that thing becomes so ultimate in your life, it's a thing that you're always fighting against. You know what happens? The rest of the world looks at you as just a bunch of bigots. And they don't want anything to do with the church. People all the time say, I love Jesus. I just don't like Christians. So instead of us being so focused on some of these small, minor things, we should be focused on what is most important. And a great example, a great way to think about this is to ask this question. When was the last time you shared your faith with a drunk or homosexual? The truth is, most of us, we haven't. Now, we'll get mad and call them out for their sin, but we won't love them the way Jesus loved them. You see, if God wanted us to be focused on some of those small, minor things that, we, that a lot of churches make ultimate, then the Bible will be focused on that. But the Bible is not focused on that. The Bible is focused on, on Jesus, isn't it? The scriptures are all about Jesus. And the people back then, they were, they were missing the Messiah. And Jesus speaks to them and says, you religious people, of all people, you're searching for the answer to a right relationship with God. And he says, I'm here. And you're missing it. And Jesus saw this as a, a problem. And if you've been hurt by the church, you see the problem with the church. So the question is, what do you do? Well, the answer this week is the same one we had last week. It's a simple answer, and it's to be like Jesus, to do what Jesus did. So let's, let's look at exactly what Jesus did because of the problem. Let's look back at this verse. I'm going to underline something else. 41 says, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Was he weeping because he was about to go to the cross? The Bible doesn't say that. It says he, he wept because of the people, the religious people and their practices and their actions. That's who Jesus wept over. And so the source for us, the answer for us, when our problem is religious people and what they've done to us, done to me or something I've done to someone else as a religious person, the solution, the response for us is to do what Jesus did. It's to mourn. 
What does it mean to mourn? Well, it means to be in this state of, of deep grief over like loss that you've experienced, sin, mistakes that you've made. It's an expression of your heart when something of value has been taken away. And for people in this room, people watching online, for some of us, our innocence has been taken away. Our trust has been taken away. Our faith in the church that we trusted and people that we trusted was taken away. For some of us, even relationships were ripped out of our lives because we were not willing to toe the line. We dared to ask questions. And that wasn't allowed. So what we do, here's what we do as good Americans, and I'm one of the best at them. Here's, what, here's how we respond when we've been hurt. We suppress that emotion. Right? I mean, I can get hurt, and I take it like a champ, and I turn around, I'm like, I'm good. Everything's fine. I'm not fine. But we are experts at suppressing grief. We're experts at hiding it and burying it deep down inside. But mourning does something for us. When we mourn over things that are wrong, it does something for us. What it does is it brings us into alignment with God's heart. You ever driven a car that was out of alignment? You know, you're driving and you let go of the steering wheel and the car goes whoop, like (laughs) off the road. I've had several cars like that. Well, why does it do that? Well, it's because both tires, the front tires are not going in the same direction. One is off a little bit. Usually because of some type of trauma, some type of damage. And God wants you to get back into alignment with him. And the answer for a lot of us when there is hurt is to mourn. Look what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5. This is one of the Beatitudes. Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, blessed are those who mourn. Not those who suppress, those who hide their emotions, hide the hurt. No, it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They should be comforted. You know what? Some of you haven't mourned. You haven't grieved. You haven't lamented about what has happened to you or what you've done to somebody else. And you need to deal with that. You need to mourn. You need to do what they did in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they would put on sackcloth and pour ash on top of their head. And they would sit in silence waiting on God. And for some of us, we need to do that. Not... The physical, that would be weird with the sackcloth and ashes. But like spiritually, have you ever had a moment where you just said, you know what, I'm going to clear my schedule, no kids, no family, no friends, no phone, and I'm going to get away and get alone with God, and I'm going to talk to him, and I'm going to get real about some things that happened in my past, and I've suppressed them for far too long. The Bible says you should mourn over the things that have hurt you. You should mourn over the things when you have hurt other people. Psalm 34 says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. When your spirit is crushed, God promises to rescue you. When you're heartbroken over something, God promises to be close to you. That's some beauty, isn't it? There's some real beauty there when you say, okay, this is not a natural thing for me to mourn, but I need to mourn over, I need to have grief and lament over something that has happened. The story isn't over, okay? So mourning is only going to get you so far. And Jesus knows this. 
he's not done giving us another problem and another solution. So let's look back at Luke chapter 19. In the next couple verses, in verse 45, it says that Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. You guys probably remember Jesus doing that several places in Scripture. And he said to them, the Scriptures declare my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus recognized another problem. The problem with the temple was misplaced priorities. These people were doing something that they weren't supposed to be doing in the temple. It was selfish. There was selfish motives within the temple grounds. So businesses being conducted in the temple, it's full of people who are making a profit. And Jesus, what he does is he comes in there and he quotes scripture to them. He quotes Isaiah 56, 7. He says, my house should be a house of prayer. What he's saying is, is that the purpose of the temple is to worship God and to, to pray. And it's all about ministering to God. Have you ever heard that term, ministering to God? Ministering to is the exact same way of saying serve. So the purpose of the temple, and I'd say the purpose of the church, is to minister to and to serve God. In the Old Testament, there was a certain group called the Levites. They were set apart from the rest of the the Jewish people, and their full-time job was to do that, to minister to God. Well, in the New Testament, under under the new covenant as Christians, we're all priests. We're all called to minister to God, to serve God. In other words, our focus in church should be on God. Not on us. Church is not about you. The music is not about you. The sermon is not about you. Ultimately, it is about him. And it's all about him. Francis Chan is a famous uh, pastor. And he said one time he got done with uh, the service. And this uh, church member came up to, to him. And she said, you know, well, pastor, I just didn't like the music today. He's going, oh, great, you know, here we go again. (laughs) Here's what he says. He said, well, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you anyways, right? (laughs) Isn't that true? It's not about us. It's about him. And sometimes churches and church people have misplaced priorities. Here's some examples. Like when the, the path that is set out for you within a certain church is to be a, a good Christian, and the only way you can really do that is by fulfilling some narrow, strict set of rules, and you cannot sway from them. And what's happened is, is that that church has misplaced their priorities. Or when a congregation is more focused on their traditions and keeping their traditions and making sure everything stays the same, above actually sharing their faith with people, you know what happens? They've misplaced their priorities. Or maybe you've been a part of a a religious family, and when a religious family member is more focused on being right than serving others, what happens is, is they've misplaced their priorities. And misplaced priorities can hurt. In this passage, Jesus gives us a solution to the misplaced priorities. Here's what he says. And Jesus entered the temple, and he began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He did something about it. 
he drove out the people. Now, in other gospels, Matthew and Mark, the Bible says that he drove out um, the, the, those who were selling things and those who were buying things, and he f- began to flip over tables of the, the merchants and the money changers. What a crazy story. Can you imagine being there and Jesus is doing that? That's insane. What was going on? Jesus got mad, didn't he? He got mad when the church, when the temple was not doing and acting the way that it should. And whether you've been the cause of hurt or you've been the recipient of hurt, there is a solution. And Jesus just gave it to us. The solution is get mad. Okay? It's okay to get mad when things are not right. How do we know that? Because Jesus did it, okay? So Jesus did something, man, maybe we should take that to heart and see what is he actually doing in this moment. So there's a couple ways that you can get mad. One is to call it out, but to call it out biblically. That's important to think about that because Jesus did that. What did he do? He used scripture, didn't he? And he quoted scripture and says, no, this is how it should be because of God's word. In Ephesians chapter 4, there's an incredible verse. I'm just going to give you a little bit of it. But it says to do this, to speak the truth in love. You got to speak the truth, but you also have to do it in love. That's what it means to call someone out biblically. So if there's something wrong going on here at this church, if there's something going wrong within your family that is not right, the Bible says you can call it out, but you got to call it out in love. In love. That's how you get mad in a righteous and holy way. Another way you can get mad is to fact check things, to fact check your faith. Because I realize there's some pain in this room. There's some pain of some people that are watching online right now. And you should never forget about that pain. That pain should actually cause you to be reminded over and over and over again to make sure that what you believe is actually true. And what you believe and how you practice your faith is actually the right way to do that, based off of God's word. Not based off of tradition, but based off of God's word. And there's this biblical mandate for us to actually fact check our faith, to examine what we believe and make sure it lines up with scripture. So look at 2 Corinthians has to say. Verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 5 says, to examine yourselves, to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Test to see if what's being taught up here on the stage is correct. Fact check me, please. And then call me, but in love, okay? Help me. Your small group leader, fact check what they say. It's a biblical thing to do. It's a biblical practice to make sure that what's being taught is actually true. Things you watch online, things you see on social media, we need to fact check what people are saying, the things that we're letting into our homes and into our lives. And that's one of the big problems with a lot of preachers today is that no one's fact checking what they have to say. We just take it at face value. That's how you get mad. You mourn, you get mad, but here's what you can't do. Here's what you shouldn't do. Don't run. It's so easy to try to run from your faith as if that's going to solve your problems. That's not what we should do. A couple years ago, my, my brother-in-law passed away, and we got all of his, uh, 
Sports memorabilia, had a ton of it. It was crazy. It was boxes after boxes. And I was going through some of that and opened up this little box, and there were these old cards, like in these glass cases. And I began to look at them, and my heart rate kind of started picking up a little bit and kind of freaking out a little bit. And I yelled for Holly, come over here and look at this. And we started looking at these, and there were like autographed rookie cards of LeBron James and Michael Jordan and some of these other guys and Babe Ruth. And I'm just going, oh, my goodness. I mean, what in the world did Chad have? You know, this is crazy. And I began to, to use a, a bright light and a magnifying glass. I began to look at those, look at the edges, look at the print, the, the signature. And I got online and kind of looked to see and realized they're all fake. <laughs> okay? They're all fakes. That's fine. I mean, they're just, he just got, he got some copies, and he thought those were cool, and I think those are cool. But just because something's fake doesn't mean that the real thing's not out there, right? And just because you've been hurt at a church doesn't mean that there's not good churches out there and good Christian people out there. Have you ever been in a car wreck and you weren't driving, like someone else was driving? I mean, the feeling of not being in control just scares me. I, you know, I, I want to be in control of everything, right? Um, but if you've ever been in a car wreck and someone else is driving, doesn't mean that you never stop driving or never get in a car again, does it? You may not ever get in a car with them again, you know? <laughs> but you still drive. We shouldn't let something that has happened to us ruin our future. A painful past isn't a reason to run. It's actually a reason to cling to Jesus more and more. Psalm 63. There's this emotional psalm. The writer says, because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings, under your protection. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. We should run to Jesus instead of running from our faith. That is the biblical response. Yes, mourn. Yes, get mad. But run to Jesus. For those of us, and if we were honest in this room, probably most of us, we've hurt people, haven't we? There's been some things we've said. There's been some ways that we have parented our kids. We've done some things that have hurt people. It's, we've caused people to run. We've even caused people to deconstruct their faith. And so what is the answer for us in this room? And the answer is we need to repent of those things. We need to be honest and real with God. We need to go and seek forgiveness. There needs to be a, a real change in our life. There needs to be repentance. And we need to focus on what's most important. And what's most important is the simple gospel. Let's focus on that. Let's, let's stop forcing people to follow our rules. Instead, let's start loving people to Jesus. Let's start living what the word of God says. Man, we would do so many great things for the kingdom of God if we would just be more like Jesus. We would be more loving and full of grace and compassion instead of condemning other people. We need to be a people that loves people where they are. And when we do that, God just might change their life.
through us. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for tough truths this morning. I thank you that you are always good. So you're not the cause of hurt. We are. So that I pray if we've been someone that has hurt another person, we've been the cause of them questioning their faith, I pray, Lord, that we'd seek forgiveness. That we'd seek repentance. And that we'd be focused on the gospel and how we treat people, how we love them. Lord, Lord, I know there's a lot of people in this room, there's a lot of people watching online who have been hurt. They're, they're timid to be here right now. They're timid to trust someone up on stage because they have been bruised and wounded. There's some that won't even come in this door. And Lord, I just want to love them where they are right now. As a church, we want to just love them where they are. Lord, I pray that they would they would not run from their faith but instead would mourn and grieve over what has happened and grow closer to you and to be like Jesus and get mad about things and determine to not be the same to not be that way to not turn around and hurt other people but instead to walk in authenticity in a relationship with Jesus. Church hurt is real, God, because people hurt people. But you are bigger than that, and you are stronger than that, and you can heal, and you can restore. So Lord, I pray that you would do that. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We are super glad that you decided to join us today. And if you watch us every week, we're so glad that you join us. And if you're watching right now for the very first time, um, we wanna just say, welcome to the family. We're so glad that you're here. Um, if you're someone who during the message, you thought, you know what? I want to know more about Christ. I wanna give my life to Jesus. And I, I want to know what it means to be forgiven. Uh, we want to connect with you. So if you could text forgiven to 94,000, and that way, one of our ministers can reach out to you and you can begin that conversation of knowing how God can change your life. Um, here at Central, we truly do believe that Jesus changes everything. See you guys later.